6. So you might want to turn that open in your Bibles. Uh, if you're not sure where Isaiah is, there's a thing called the Table of Contents at the, uh, at the um, uh, front part of your Bibles. It's always good to check that out. And we're deviating from the 1 Corinthians series so just today as we um, hear this great message from Isaiah chapter 6. So um, thanks, Abigail. Hey Abigail, welcome to Port Macquarie. It's uh, great to have you with us. Um, is it your first time in Port Macquarie? Yes, it is. First time. And um, well, that's, um, that's fantastic. I guess when you live on the Gold Coast, you don't need to come for a beach holiday to uh, Port Macquarie. Uh, and you're a, a student at uh, Griffith University. What are you studying, Abigail? I'm studying pharmacy. Pharmacy, uh, fantastic. Look, if anyone need, needs any prescriptions filled, um, Abigail's open for business after the service today. She'll be happy to help you out. You're probably not quite ready for that as yet. Uh, would that be right? Yeah. Uh, but are you ready to read God's word for us? Yes. Thanks, Abigail. Good on you. So, Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, Make their ears dull, and close their eyes, Otherwise they might see with their eyes, Hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Hi everyone. Uh, I'm Tim. Uh, I'm part of the, the, the Griffith team. So pleased to be here with you this morning. Uh, when um, Before the first service, the 8.30 service, Scott and I had a lovely conversation. He was, he was looking out for me and he said, Tim, there's, there's two glasses of water and uh, they're, they're positioned under the, the lectern. And um, I forgot all about that when I got up to preach. And there was some stuff on the thing here. And I put the thing, and I thought, I've got to get rid of this stuff. And I shoved it under here. 
And do you know what happened? Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to make that mistake in this service. Uh, Let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do uh, praise you for the the God that you are. Uh, We praise you that you're a speaking God, that you've revealed yourself uh, to us, and you've revealed yourself all the way through history in uh, many different ways, ultimately in Jesus, uh, but also in this way uh, to Isaiah uh, back in the Old Testament. And we pray this morning as we think about these Uh, this part of your word, uh, that you would speak to us, speak to us through your word by your spirit, that we might know who you are and we might be pleased to trust you and live for you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A question I sometimes ask the students when we're going to do something like we're doing this week, go away on a mission week, uh, or maybe we're doing a a week of evangelism on campus, uh, something like that. A, A week I like to ask them is what emoji would you choose uh, to sum up how you're feeling? Now, do I have the clicker? Who's got the clicker? I'm going to need the clicker. What emoji, while we're getting the clicker, what emoji... I love it. I love it here. This makes me feel at home, this <laughs> slick operation. You should come to my church. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's normally my fault, these things. Um, <laughs> what emoji would you use to describe how you're feeling about mission, how you're feeling about evangelism, how you're feeling about sharing the gospel uh, with others? Uh, and I thought it might be fun this morning to ask you that question, uh, especially if you're, you're, you're a Christian, you're somebody who trusts Jesus. What emoji, uh, and hopefully you know what I'm talking about, but what emoji would you use to sum up how you're feeling about the prospect of a week like we're doing or about sharing the gospel with your friend maybe at school or uh, talking to uh, a random stranger even about Jesus. What emoji would you use to describe that? Now, there's a bunch of different ones you might pick. For example, some of us might go for that one. Those of you who didn't know what emojis were, now you do, right? Uh, That one's the love eyes one. You think about evangelism, you think about talking to people about Jesus and you go, I cannot get enough of that. Sign me up. Where are you sending me? Let's go. Uh, You find it easy to connect with people. You've always got the right words to say. And even when you don't, that doesn't bother you. Uh, The thought of evangelism gets you excited. Maybe that's you. Uh, Maybe for you it's uh, this one. Um, I don't know what this emoji means, actually. But for today, it means you feel puzzled. Maybe you've heard me talk about these things already uh, today, evangelism, mission. I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, Tim. Uh, What do you mean by that? And so you're going, that's that's the emoji you might use. I suspect for many of us it might be this emoji. (laughs) Is that right? Uh, The thought of sharing the gospel with somebody, be it somebody you know or somebody you don't, absolutely terrifies you. might terrify you because you go, "I, I don't know what to say. Or you think, oh, somebody else would do that better. Or maybe you just go, I'm just scared of what people are going to think about me if I talk about Jesus with them. Maybe it's that emoji. Or maybe it's this final emoji, which I'm calling sceptical. You think about evangelism, you hear a word like that, and you think about street preachers out there kind of yelling at people, fire and brimstone. Maybe you think about door knockers knocking on your door, uh, pushing things on you. And you go, I do not want to be part of that. And you're sceptical about the thought. You think, I I don't think that's how we should be as Christians. 
How do you feel about mission? How do you feel about evangelism? What emoji sums it up for you? What emoji sums it up for you? It's probably a mix, isn't it? Um, But however you feel, what I want us to do this morning is allow this part of God's Word, Isaiah 6, which is a wonderful chapter, I want to allow this part of God's Word to speak to us in that. To speak to us in however we're feeling, the different struggles we have, the excitement, and allow God's Word to teach us and to train us and to challenge and rebuke us, as God promises His Word will do. Uh, And it's a great passage to look at in thinking about evangelism uh, because what's happening in Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah is being prepared by God for a mission in his day. It's a little bit different to what God asks us to do in sharing the gospel of Jesus with others. Uh, But there's many things in what God does for Isaiah in preparing him for his mission in his day that really helps us, I think. And so we're going to think about this um, together. Do please have Isaiah chapter 6 in front of you. I think there's there's an outline as well, which you can follow along with uh, in the handout. A little bit of uh, context uh, before we... A little bit of context about Isaiah, just to get our heads in the right place. Isaiah, Old Testament, about 700, 800 years before Jesus was born. That's where we are. And Isaiah spoke to the southern part of the nation of Israel, what was known as Judah. It's where Jerusalem was. And he spoke in a time when the nation was in turmoil. Their kings, their leaders had led them astray. They'd led the people into sin, into idolatry. And the people were turning away from God and God's anger was being kindled against them. And Isaiah is sent, and the whole book of Isaiah is is Isaiah speaking to the nation calling them back to God, rebuking their sin and warning them of God's impending judgment for it. And in this chapter, we see God preparing Isaiah for that task. Uh, And it all begins with this incredible vision that Isaiah receives, doesn't it? Uh, Let me just read to you from verse 1 what he sees. In verse 1, we read, In the year that King Isaiah died... I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And just stop and take in what it is Isaiah is seeing here. It's quite a vision that he beholds, isn't it? Uh, the technical word for this is a theophany. Throw that, throw that into a conversation at school tomorrow, all right? I had a theophany on the weekend. Say, say that to someone. Uh, what, what that means, it's a personal revelation of God. An encounter with the divine. The Lord is revealing himself personally to Isaiah. It's kind of like another example of this in the Bible is Moses at the burning bush. Another theophany, God personally revealing himself. And uh, we see some really significant things that God reveals to Isaiah. Uh, Firstly, notice with me here that God is utterly transcendent. He's he's above all. We're told he's high and exalted seated on his throne. It's almost as if he's just a bit too high to actually see. Isaiah can see everything around him, but he can't quite take in God himself. So transcendent, so glorious is God. 
And there's all these things sort of overwhelming him as God's there. So the, the train of his robe, we're told, fills the whole temple where God is. Uh, for those of us who are a bit older, you might remember Princess Diana's wedding dress all the way down the aisle of Westminster Abbey in London. That's God's robe in the temple. It just fills the whole space. And then there's the smoke, which we can, I'm sure, all relate to. There's smoke the temple's filled with. Uh, actually, the back room when we arrived on Friday was full of smoke. Um, it's gone now, which is good. Uh, there's noise, and it's so noisy, the doorposts are shaking. It's this incredible, overwhelming revelation that Isaiah receives. Um, another detail that's going on here, which you'll notice, is, is the angels. They're called seraphs, or seraphim in our uh, translations, and they each have six wings. Two, two that they're flying around with, two that they're covering their feet with, which is interesting, and two covering their uh, faces. And it's fascinating, isn't it? If there was ever a creature that you would think could stand before God, it would be an angel, wouldn't it? A seraphim. But such is God's glory that these angels even feel they need to shield themselves from when they're in God's presence, covering their feet, covering their faces. Uh, and then there's what, what the angels are actually saying. Uh, they're famous words, what they're saying, but they're, they're praising God to one another and back and forth. I think this is what's creating all the noise. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. We kind of sing that quite regularly, don't we, in, in our songs. It comes up again later on in Revelation in the Bible. Uh, but it's easy to miss how significant those words are. Easy to miss how significant those words are. Uh, in the Bible... And particularly in the Old Testament, repetition is used for emphasis. Used to emphasize that something is completely true. Um, to add the word completely to true is a little bit funny to do, but that's kind of what it's doing. It's utterly true, this, uh, this thing. Uh, we, we use, we use um, the Bible uses repetition as sort of a, like we might use an underline if you're writing an email or a bold if uh, you're feeling particularly uh, cranky in that email. Uh, I'll show you a couple of other examples in the Bible where we see this. Um, go past that one. Two, two Kings 25. Two Kings 25, and it's describing a whole bunch of things that the Babylonians uh, stole from the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and look how it describes what they were made of. It talks about the censers and the sprinkling basins, which the last couple of words were made of pure gold. If you were to translate that directly, just word for word, there's no, the word pure is not there. It's just the word gold repeated twice. Gold, gold. It's totally gold. See how the repetition's working? Uh, another example, Genesis 14. Uh, it's just talking about a, an area uh, which was full of pits, uh, holes in the ground or wells. I'm not quite sure what they were. But again, it doesn't say full of pits. It says pit pits. Pits everywhere. In the Bible, repetition is used to emphasize things. And here in Isaiah, God's holiness is being emphasized. It is utterly true. And it's not just double repetition, gold, gold, pit, pits, holy, holy. It's three times. Holy, holy, holy. It's the only time in the Old Testament uh, that you see a threefold repetition. That is how holy God is. That is. He is not just holy, he is utterly so. He is the definition of holiness. There is nothing truer of God than his holiness. Uh, I like how the theologian Tozer puts this. 
He says this about God's holiness, and I think he captures what we're seeing in Isaiah. We cannot grasp the true meaning of divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we are capable of. We can't just think of somebody who we think, oh, they're, they're a really, really good person. You know, like Mary over here. Where's Mary? Back there, back there. Got the wrong name. But we don't think of someone like that and go, they're pretty good. God must be like them, but really, 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 really good. No, no, God's holiness is not like that. As Tozer says, no, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely better. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible and unattainable. And this is what God chooses to reveal to Isaiah as he prepares for him to go and speak to the nation. As he sends him on this task of speaking his word. It's an interesting thing to do, isn't it? This is what Isaiah needs to know. This is what Isaiah needs to understand about God. And if we just for a moment, if we just step out of Isaiah's world, out of the 8th century BC and step into the 21st century AD, there's something to learn here for us too as Christians, isn't it? As we think about evangelism, as we think about mission, go back to how you're feeling, you know, the emojis from the start. But if you think about this, our contexts are different, aren't they? Our God is exactly the same. As we speak about Jesus with others, we are representing the same God. The God who is transcendent. The God who is glorious. The God who is holy. Yesterday, as we were, um, we were at the nursing home, um, which Scott mentioned, it was a great moment. From a ministry point of view, you feel, I don't know, I felt a bit helpless. In the, I, I don't know what to say. It's very hard to relate. But in that moment, as we're struggling with that, who are we representing? Who are we speaking on behalf of? This God. Tomorrow, as you're, you're, you're off doing whatever it might be that you're doing, off to school, off to work, um, spending time with, with, with friends, what, whatever you might be doing tomorrow, who do you represent? You re- represent this God. Who are you called to speak on behalf of? This God. Who's the God of every person in Port Macquarie? This God. This God who is glorious and transcendent and holy. It it ups the stakes a bit, doesn't it? It ups the stakes. Uh, Come back to the passage, though, uh, because uh, there's there's much more to see here. Isaiah, he sees this vision of God, uh, but in verse 5, we see him respond to it. Uh, and he, he cries out, doesn't he, in verse 5. Uh, look what he says. Woe to me. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's a relatable response. That is the response of any human being who comes face to face with God. Isaiah, in this moment, as he sees God as he truly is, is suddenly aware of how far short he falls. Of how unworthy 
he is. Unclean, ruined, as he says. And he's not just unworthy to represent this God, he's, he's unworthy to even know this God, isn't he? If the angels have to cover their feet, what does Isaiah have to do to stand in his presence? What, what I love, though, about this moment is it's exactly that moment of self-realisation for Isaiah that God reaches out in mercy towards him. Isn't it beautiful what, what happens in verse 6? Have a look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. Uh, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Uh, now, if you're a New Testament Christian, post-Jesus, which all of us are, okay, this probably sounds a little bit strange. We don't tend to deal with tongs and altars and live coals and, and, and all the rest. Um, in, in fact, if we were to do this kind of thing, if, we were, if, if somebody was at the men's breakfast yesterday... One of the students, I don't know, Joshua, right? He came up. If he went over to the barbecue, grabbed the tongs and pulled some... I don't know if there were coals on the barbecue. I'm sure it wasn't. It was just a gas burner. But let's say there was for the illustration. He just pulled a, a coal off the barbecue and then went over to somebody in the congregation and seared their mouth with it. That would be a massive breach of the Presbyterian Church's OH&S policy. It would be a massive breach of that. And I know that because Scott made us read that before we came. <laughs> absolute, absolute massive breach. Um, it's, it's a bit of a strange moment for us what's going on here. But for the people of Isaiah's day and for Isaiah, it's not strange at all. It's, it's as I said, it's a wonderful moment. It's a beautiful moment because these people had grown up knowing and reading their Old Testaments and they'd grown up visiting the temple and offering sacrifices. They knew about the altar. There was a massive altar in the temple. Uh, it looked, looked something like this. Some, something like that. And it would be kept burning, and the people would bring their sacrifices for their sins, and the priest would, it'd be, the animal would be slaughtered. And this, this burning sacrifice, the smoke, it talks about, you can go and read about this in Leviticus, but the smoke would, would symbolically at least rise up to God and it would be a pleasing aroma to him. If you've ever smelt a burning carcass, I don't think it's saying it smells good, but it's pleasing to God because this sacrifice has been offered for the sins of the person who put, who put it there. And so God's anger and judgment at people's sin was turned away and rather than looking in anger at someone, he would look in pleasure at that person. And what's happening here with Isaiah is a coal is taken by the seraphim from the altar. A coal is taken from this place which symbolized atonement and forgiveness for sin. And it's thrust against Isaiah's mouth. And in doing so, his lips are made clean. In fact, he's made clean. But it's really important for Isaiah that his lips are made clean, isn't it? Because it's with his lips that he's going to speak the message of God. He has been made fit for God's presence. He has been made fit for God's service. He has been made fit despite his sin against God, despite his unworthiness. He's been made fit to be God's mouthpiece to the nation. Now, here's the thing. 
I don't know if you realize this, but you have, if you are a Christian, if, you, if you're someone who trusts in the Lord Jesus, you have had an Isaiah 6 burning coal moment. Did you know that? Your lips have been seared. You have been made fit for God's service. Uh, not literally through a, through a real uh, burning coal, but from the sacrifice offered on the altar of Jesus' cross at Golgotha. As Jesus spilled his blood for your and my sins to offer us forgiveness and to turn away God's anger at our sin. As we trust that, we have been made, like Isaiah, fit for God's presence, despite our sin and unworthiness, and we have been made fit for God's service. I want to encourage you to take hold of that truth. Will you take hold of that? Most of us have heard that many, many times before. But it's so important. And it's not just, so, it's not just important because it, makes, it gives, offers us forgiveness. It's so important because it shows that whoever you are, God is pleased to use you to speak about him. God is pleased to use you, whoever you are, to share the news of Jesus with others. It's so easy to get caught up in our inadequacies. Oh, I don't have the words to say. Somebody else would do it better. It's even easy to get caught up in our own sin and our weaknesses and say, if people really knew what I was like and the things I did, how am I possibly worthy of representing Jesus to others? Friend, if you trust the Lord Jesus, God has made you fit to do that. So take heart and take courage. It's great news, isn't it? Great news. Uh, come back, though, to Isaiah 6. There's, there's one last thing for us to see here. One last thing for us to see. Uh, because having seen God and having been made fit to serve Him, finally Isaiah receives his mission as God speaks directly to him. Um, we, see, we see this from verse 8. It says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah puts up his hand. Good on him. I love it when people do that. In verse 9, this is what he's got to do. He said, the Lord said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving, Make the heart of this people calloused, Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. I'd love to know what emoji Isaiah would choose to describe his feelings as he came to grips with the mission that God is giving him here. This is probably not what he was expecting when he put up his hand. I'll go. His job is quite literally to fail, isn't it? He's going to speak God's word. He's going to warn them of, the sin, of their sin, call them back, warn them of God's coming judgment against it. And nobody is going to listen to him. The effect, actually, is going to be the opposite. God's plan here is that Isaiah's message, as he speaks God's word to people, it will push them away. They'll block their ears, they'll cover their eyes, they'll run in the other direction, their hearts will be hardened. They'll be like a child at the playground, like my kids actually at the playground. 
I've got two kids. They're getting better, actually. They're eight and nine now, so it's a bit easier. But you know when you yell out to your kid at the park, time to go. They hear you. But they climb back up the top of the slide and hide. That's what's going to happen. God's word is going to be heard, but it's going to be pushing the people away. They're not going to listen. They're not going to turn back to God. It's a heck of a task Isaiah's given, isn't it? Uh, he, he asks God, how long do I have to do that in the, in the last few verses there? And, and God says to him, well, you're going to do it until everybody has turned away pretty much. And my judgment has come completely on the land so that all that remains is just a stump on the ground. And that stump, we don't have time to go into it today. From that stump, the Lord Jesus is going to grow, ultimately. But what do we take away from this as we think about mission and evangelism? Is this our job too? Is this what we're called to? Should we be expecting, should the, the Gold Coast mission team be expecting tomorrow as we go to the, the schools, the kids are not going to listen to this, it's going to harden their hearts. Is that what we should be expecting? Well, I think at, at this point, there is a, a bit of a divergence, isn't there? Um, God does give us hope as we talk about Jesus, that not everyone but some will turn back to him. Certainly some will be hardened against God as they hear the gospel, but some will turn back. And so that's, we should be thankful for that. But even though there's a bit of a difference there, I think when it comes down to the very heart of it, our task as Christians, speaking about Jesus with others, is exactly the same, isn't it? Or at least our responsibility is exactly the same. Because Isaiah's task here is to speak God's word, whatever the outcome. In fact, he doesn't need to worry about the outcome. God's going to use his word for his purposes at this point. His purposes at this point is that his people would be hardened against him. That's exactly the same as our task and responsibility. We might have more hope and we might have more joy as some hear about Jesus and turn back in faith and repentance. But our job is not to control those things. Our job is not to make those things happen. No, that's God's work by His Spirit as His Word is proclaimed. Our responsibility, like Isaiah, is to share the gospel, to speak. And of course, we'll all do that in different ways, together and in different contexts and as different opportunities arise. But our job collectively as God's people and our job individually is to speak to others about Jesus and tell people about the wonderful things he's done in offering them salvation. It's not to control the outcome. God will do what he wills as his word is proclaimed. And so that's what we've tried to do while we've been here this week. That's what we try to do on campus as a group. Uh, and it's been such a joy to be here just the last couple of days and to see this church seeking to do those very same things here in Port Macquarie. Um, we've, we've been so encouraged. We've only been here, I think, two nights. But it's been... At the men's breakfast, I was so encouraged by how many people brought a friend along to the men's breakfast yesterday. That's, that's not easy to do, is it? And there were people in all sorts of different places uh, with uh, understanding Jesus. But God's word was being proclaimed. 
And this church was being on about doing that. Uh, on Friday night and Friday afternoon as we, we hung out with the youth, at the, the, the youth groups, it was so great to see how faithfully, the faithful work that people in this church are doing in discipling the children and the youth to know Jesus. Such an encouragement. Keep doing it. Here's the application from today's sermon. Keep being a church that's on about that. Will you do that? Keep being a church that's on about mission. Keep being a church that delights in others hearing of what Jesus has done. Keep being a church that's concerned for the lost, concerned to see your friends, your neighbours, your family know God. Keep being a church that's willing to speak God's word boldly, despite opposition. And keep doing these things, confidently knowing what we see here in Isaiah 6. Knowing that you speak on behalf of a God who is holy and glorious and transcendent. The one who is God, Lord over all and before, all, before whom all will give an account. Knowing that in Jesus, each one of you has been made fit for the task. And knowing that like Isaiah, our job is not to control the outcome but to speak the message, whatever the outcome, to speak of Jesus, to say, to tell people about what he's done, to call them to him and entrust God to use his word proclaimed as he wills for his glory. Shall I pray that God would help us to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, what we've heard this morning. Thanks for this vision, which for Isaiah uh, would have been a life-changing moment. His commissioning to serve the Lord, to preach uh, to his nation. And we thank you in the Lord Jesus for the commissioning we've been given as, as his people uh, to do the same. Father, we do pray that by your spirit, you would help us to do that. Give us the courage we need. Help us to remain faithful, to speak truthfully about you. And help us to trust you and trust that it's, it's your spirit that softens hearts. It's your spirit that uses your word proclaimed as you will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.